Thanks, Michelle. <clears throat> I should have said at the start of the service when, um, when I gave the welcome that um, we, I just want to acknowledge we do have a very special guest here today. Um, uh, Dotha Blackwood is um, a lecturer at Spurgeon's and uh, she's with us today. It's it, uh, Reverend Dr. Dotha Blackwood, I should say, of course, forgive your proper title, I think. Um, it's great to have you, Dotha. She, she's lovely. Please speak to her afterwards, introduce yourselves and um, say as many nice things as you can think of about me. That would be, that'd be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so in, in one of our lectures this week we were talking about preaching we were talking about styles of preaching and a comment was made um, by, by the guy taking the, lecturer, the, the lecture that um, sometimes we should let the, the form of the scripture that we are preaching on dictate the form of the sermon to avoid us getting bogged down in one style and, and going a bit stale and I thought, okay, well, I, I, can, I can go with that. I think that, that makes sense to a certain extent. And then I realised that this morning, the text I I'm, find I'm before me is the opening of the very first psalm. Now, I haven't had time, and to be honest, I don't have the skill to write a sermon entirely in poetical verse. So I decided to leave that one today. But one day, who knows? So we're reading from Psalm 1, the opening of the book of Psalms, the the book which so often is is turned to in worship, in in prayer, at times of grief. It's, It's rich in its content. It covers so much and so many themes. There are so many different contributors. And it opens with these words. We're reading the first three verses of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. You could be forgiven, of course, for hearing the opening of that psalm, especially that last line and thinking, what? Come off it. Whatever he does prospers. But we're always saying that asking Christ into our lives doesn't guarantee us an easy ride. It doesn't mean that we're always going to prosper. Surely that can't be right. And if so, then I'm doing something wrong because everything I does doesn't prosper. I had a conversation with somebody this week. Um, there's a friend of mine I've not seen for many months and um, on Friday evening I met up with him and he brought along a, another friend of his who I, I know vaguely, and uh, we had a great time. It was really nice to catch up. And um, the, the friend that had been brought along as well, um, he started asking me questions because he could not understand what would drive somebody 
to go into ministry. I think for him it was, it was a backward step. It was a negative thing to do because, Tom, you, you, you were doing well. You, you were working up in the city. You were doing all right for yourself. And yet, suddenly you've packed all that in and you're going, you, you, what, why on earth are you doing it? You're going to be a minister. Why? And then he started asking about faith. And he said, you see, I've got a, a foot in both camps. And I said, oh, right, what, what, which, which camps? And he said, well, science and religion. And I thought, oh, here we go. That's my, that's my pleasant, relaxed Friday evening gone. There it goes, out the door. Conversation began. But one of the things, one of the statements he made was really interesting. He asked me, why? Why should, why would I tell him that he should come to church, hear the gospel, receive Christ? Why should he have faith? And I said, because of the cross. I said, let me explain that, because I realised I'd immediately done the thing that we're always saying don't do. I've started using church language. What does that mean, because of the cross? What does that mean to someone who doesn't come to church? Well, I said, let me explain. You see, on the cross, when Jesus died, the Bible tells us that in that act, he took the punishment for everything that I have ever done wrong. All the bad things that I've done. In that one act. And then, a few days later, Jesus rose from the dead. And by doing that, he showed that he's strong enough to bear my sin. He's strong enough to, to pay that price. He's the only person that has ever, that could, could ever, that, that will ever do that. I said, through that one event in history, Jesus did that for me and for you and for everybody in, in this bar that we're sitting in, in this, in this church we're sitting in this morning, everybody. I said, the cross is so powerful. Now, i just come back that day from visiting Stonehenge, as I said earlier. And like I said earlier, I, you know, I was really impressed by Stonehenge. I've not, I've not been there before. But actually the cross, the cross is such a powerful monument. And yet it's not a monument, it's not something we can go and visit. Churches up and down the country, throughout the world, have a cross. But there isn't the cross that we can go, because there, there wouldn't be any point in that. Because Jesus didn't give us a monument that we can go and think, I wonder what life was like then. God, isn't that amazing? He gave us something which is living and true. He came back to life. He is the risen Lord. And so anyway, I didn't go quite into all that with this guy, but he said to me, the problem I've got, the problem I've got is it's too simple. He said, it's just too simple, isn't it? He said, I look back at you know, some of the things I've done and he, he's, not a, he's not a particularly nasty person, he's a nice chap, but... Um, you know, we've all, we've all done things in the past, said things that we're not proud of. He said, if someone's going to tell me you've, you're forgiven, that's all right, I want to do something. I want to do a sort of Indiana Jones quest of some sort where I have to go across the world and, and defeat villains and prove myself. It's just too simple. It's just too easy. It can't be that easy. I said, it is. It is. And it is. It is that easy. It was easy for Adam and Eve in Genesis. 
Do you eat the fruit or not? They made the bad decision. They consumed the fruit. And so began this process. The fall, we call it. The fall of mankind. And so sin came into the world, came into man and woman, and passed down. Before long there was, there was murder and there was all, all manner of sins being committed. And throughout the Old Testament we read of, of slaughter and pain and suffering, oppression, enslavement, all these terrible things. And it all came because of one bad decision. It was that simple. And people say, how can God allow suffering and, and all, this awful thi- all, awful, awful, all these awful things to happen in the world today? How can God let that happen? If it all came from one simple bad decision, we all make bad decisions all the time. How come that God let that happen? But of course the answer is, well, God's given us all a very simple decision to make that puts us right with him, that brings us back to him, that that gives us the opportunity to have an eternity with him. That simple decision. Whether we walk in the counsel of the wicked, whether we stand in the way of sinners, whether we sit in the seat of mockers, or whether we delight in the law of the Lord, whether we we meditate day and night on his law, whether we are like a tree planted by streams of water. Which do we choose? That's the choice that we can make. Last summer, um, Joe and I uh, went to see some friends of ours in America, and I'd never been to America before, and we had a great time, and um, it struck me, driving, driving along, they're not ever so imaginative with um, some of their street names. You, sort of, you start driving down a, a highway and go past the first one, and it's normally called First Avenue. All right, okay, fair enough. Next one, Second Avenue, so on and so forth. You get sort of, you know, 212th Avenue. And you think, oh, surely, you know, can't someone just think up some road names? It can't be that difficult, surely. Every, every so often you have these avenues branching off the main highway. The great thing about the Christian faith is that as we go down that highway in life, we don't just have one turning. If we're driving along, as I found on Friday evening on the drive back from, from uh, Stonehenge, um, sometimes you'll be driving us and navigating. <clears throat> Just sometimes, you know, might sort of um, get lefts and rights mixed up a little bit. It's easy to do, apparently. And so sometimes you might be driving along and they'll say, right, take the next left. And so you'll be driving along, looking for the next left. And you're going down the road and, and just sometimes, you know, you might even just have your hand on the indicator waiting to signal and there's no left and you keep going and then suddenly, the left, 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 left! 
and you say, that's right. Well, you know what I mean. No, I don't know what you mean. And, you know, sometimes it can, it can, it can trigger a, a heated debate in a car. But you see, we can miss turnings, can't we? It's easy to do. Even with sat-navs, we can miss turnings. With the Christian faith, as we go down that highway of life, there isn't just one turning. There isn't one chance and then it's gone and you're condemned and you keep going down that road and there is no turning back. Instead, it's like one of these American highways where you have your first chance and if you miss that, you've got your second chance, you've got your third, fourth, fifth. It keeps going and going and going until the day that we stand before our maker. And he says, you had all those different avenues to turn down. Please tell me you went down one. Please tell me, just once, you, you turned off the main highway of life. You turned off the one that, that is purely focused on, on getting to the end of life with as much money and as many possessions and, and, and as, 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 as much achievement as you could possibly have got. Please tell me. Please tell me that you didn't miss the turnings. Because every day, you went past a turning. You could have turned off and gone down that road and found me. Once you've found me, get back on the highway. But take me with you. You see, the beauty of the Christian faith is not a faith that condemns us. It's a faith that frees us. Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to save us from our sin. But of course we do come back to that problem, don't we? That verse, whatever he does prospers. Can there be truth in that? Yes, there can. We often say, don't we, that when we've made our commitment to Christ when we've invited Jesus into our lives, when we've responded to scripture or prayer or testimony or whatever it might be, when we go through the waters of baptism, at that moment, from that point on, our fate is sealed. Jesus will never forsake us. He will never give up on us. He will never banish us. We might go through rocky paths. We might go through times where we get it wrong, but Jesus doesn't get it wrong. Instead, whatever we do, it will prosper. Not on earth necessarily. We might get made redundant. We might struggle to feed our family. We might go through some pretty awful times. Our health might fail. We might make mistakes and upset friends or family, damage relationships. We might do all these things. But the psalmist here isn't talking about earthly prosperity. The psalmist here is saying if we devote ourselves to God, if we devote ourselves 
to his teachings, to his word, to living the life that he wants us to to lead, to be the people he wants us to be, then when that day comes, when our earthly body is just a shell, when we stand before our God, then, if if we've chosen to follow him, he will welcome us into his house for eternity. Whatever we have done in life, ultimately, we have prospered. And so I find these words encouraging. I find these words uplifting because it reminds us that we, our eternity is sealed. Heaven awaits us. Despite all the challenges and hardships that life may throw at us, heaven awaits us. We, we judge each other on how successful we are. It's interesting, the, the owner of Binnerickie Town Football Club divides opinion. In some ways, not a particularly nice person. In other ways, lovely guy. And I've met him a few times and, and it's, he's quite good fun to be with. He's a nice guy. He's done some brilliant, brilliant things for the community. He's also done some not so good things. And he gets publicised and gets a hard time for that. But you see, he knows Jesus. He's a Christian. And I find it really hard when you read in the press about um, how much money he's got, how, how many businesses he's run, all, the, all the, the, the earthly success, the way that he's judged and, and then he's condemned for things that he's said or, or things that he's done and, and he gets a very, very bad press. And you read that and you think, ultimately, he knows Jesus and therefore, eternally, he will prosper. We will all prosper if we know Jesus, if we invite Jesus into our lives. And that's why... If, if you were there on, um, at Perry Street on Easter Sunday evening when we had the baptismal service, that is so important. It is so important to go through the waters of baptism. If anyone here today hasn't done that, then I, I would urge you to look into it, to consider it, to challenge yourself, to challenge baptism. As soon as we make that commitment, whatever we do in life, falls away because we have sealed our eternity. That's not to say we can take the foot off the gas. That's not to say that we can can then ignore what's written in, in the Bible. We can ignore the teachings of Christ because we should be overwhelmed by the magnitude of what he did for us on the cross. And we should choose to live the best life that we can, to be like the tree planted by a stream of water which yields fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, regardless of whether there's, whether there's flood water or drought, still stands strong in the earth. We're told in Galatians chapter 3, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves 
with Christ. That idea of being clothed in Christ. When I was, when I was at school, when I was a teenager, I had two uniforms. I had a school uniform hanging up in my cupboard. And I'd wear that Monday to Friday. And the shoes were scuffed and the buttons were missing and it was, it was pretty grubby. It wasn't anything I wore with pride. The trousers weren't pressed, the shoes were never polished. You see, I didn't much enjoy school. I wasn't a particularly good student. I did just enough to scrape through and that was it. And you could tell that when you looked at me. You could tell by the uniform, by the state of me, that I didn't have any respect or, or, or pride in the organisation that I was representing. The other uniform hanging up in my wardrobe was my air cadet uniform. Boy, that was a different story, I tell you. Every Sunday afternoon was spent pressing trousers when I should have been doing coursework and homework and stuff. It was spent pressing the creases into my trousers. They were razor sharp from the the top of the pleat right the way down to the foot. My shirt was also pressed. My, My jumper... Wasn't, it wasn't iron, because it was, it was wood and it would have melted. But um, it, was, it was always had a sticky roller run over it to remove any excess hairs or anything like that. My beret was rolled up and perfectly uh, stored so that it always kept the shape. It never sort of stuck out like a satellite dish. My shoes spent hours polishing my parade shoes. We used to parade twice a week and at weekends and then before each parade night I would spend at least an hour balling up each toe cap, making sure that they were absolutely perfect. Even down to making sure silly things like the shoelaces were both the, the same length and stuff like that, getting it absolutely bang on. If I had a badge to sew onto the uniform, I would get this little spirit level to make sure it was straight. Absolutely, the, the thread had to be, had to be uh, the right colour. It had everything. My brass belt buckle, was, you could see your face in it. It was perfect, or I, I wanted it to be perfect, because I had so much pride in the organisation that I was representing when I wore that uniform. When I walked down the street in my school uniform, I didn't pay attention to anybody. It was just me. I was, I was miserable. When I walked down the street in my exit uniform, if I saw someone walking their dog, good morning, sir, good morning, ma'am, I, I was a different person. I had pride. I loved that organisation. When we clothe ourselves in Christ, What's the state of our uniform? What do we look like? Obviously, we can't physically clothe ourselves in Christ, but do we carry ourselves with pride? Do we make sure that that when somebody looks at us, they can see that we are proud of who we are? Or do we just wear Christ with a little bit of shame? Do we wear Christ because we feel obliged to, because church is habit and something that we we feel we ought to do. We wouldn't want to upset people by not doing it. We should wear Christ as if we we are just so proud. We should spend hours perfecting Christ as 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 we put our Christ uniform on, if you like. How do we do that? By reading our Bibles, by by learning how Jesus wants us to live life. Because let's not forget that ultimately everything we do in life should reflect his glory. We should live for him. We should devote our lives to reflecting Jesus, his goodness, his love, 
his kindness, his, his generosity, his spirit. We should be very mindful of the fact. That's why you should never take your bookmark out your Bible halfway through a preach. We should be very mindful of the fact that because of Jesus, not because of us, not because of anything we've done or can do or will do, because of Jesus, we can look at this psalm in a different light. Because, of course, when this was written, this was pre-Jesus, a long time before Jesus came. We now, in a post-Jesus world, can look at this psalm, read that, that line, whatever he does prospers, and know, know that we will prosper if we've accepted Christ. And our response to that should be to put in the work now to make sure that when we clothe ourselves in Christ, people look at us, take a step back and say, God, I wish I could look like that. I wish I could have that, that confidence. I wish I could be that, that strong in my beliefs. I wish I could be that proud of what it is that I stand for. Like the guy in the pub on Friday night said to me, it's too simple. It's too simple. It's not. It's made that simple for us. Not because it's, it's too simple, but because Jesus wanted to go through all the pain, all the suffering, all the anguish, all the heartache. He wanted to endure that so that we don't have to. He made it that simple for us out of love for us. At the beginning of the service when Michelle opened the time of worship, she gave us a chance to bring before God anything that we've done in the past week or said or thought that hasn't honoured him. And that's a really good thing to do. And sometimes we can, we can miss that but we are called to repent in the assurance that forgiveness will be given. And so that's how we start finish today. Let's think ahead to the coming week. Let's think ahead to all the situations that we're going to find ourselves in, the, the people that we're going to meet, the places we're going to go, the, 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 maybe, maybe there's some fear, maybe there's some difficult conversations to have. There's, there's situations that you're not quite sure how they're going to develop. And before I close in prayer, let's just bring these things before God. Share them with him. And ask that we can go into those situations confident that he's with us. Ask for his guidance in how to conduct ourselves. Ask for his presence while we're actually in the, in the thick of battle. And then ask for his comfort as we reflect afterwards. Because so often in life we can, we can talk to God after something's happened and not before. Let's just take this time now to prepare ourselves for the week ahead, to, to ask 
for us to be clothed in Christ, to make sure that we are as, as smart as we can possibly be, each and every one of us, as we go out into the world, that we can take a wow factor with us, not resulting from our own glory, resulting from the fact that we are clothed in Christ and our prosperity in eternity is assured. Let's take a moment and then I'll close the sermon in prayer.